I'm genetically engineered to live in like frozen bogs near the Arctic Circle. You know, that's where my people come from. So. <laughs> Welcome to the Greens and Blues Sports Center Podcast. This episode, Zach earns his neurology degree, I become a Chaucaholic, and we sit down with the Long Ranger, Justin Simone. So Zach, what got us interested in talking with Justin Simone? Well, Eric, he's not a Greens and Blues kind of guy. <laughs> in reviewing his accomplishments, and as the listeners will hear in the interview that follows this, Justin can do all range of hiking effort from green to blue to I think pink and purple and red, <laughs> right. uh, all the colors of the rainbow. He's, he's got a lot of different skill sets. He's, he can bike long range. He can mountain bike. He can gravel bike. He can hike. He can climb. He can scramble. He can do these long traverses. I personally wanted to talk to him because I find him to be an inspiration. He's, someone who I followed for a while and I find his long efforts to be inspirational for my shorter efforts. <laughs> and I also just think he's, I think he captures an element of what we try to capture here, which is just the love of, of pushing yourself, the love of the Hills, the general joys of mountaineering at, at any level. He obviously does it at a, at a really high level for, for very long periods of time. But I, I think nonetheless, for those of us that that live in the valleys and not as much in the mountains as he does, there's something to be gained from his kind of knowledge and and the kinds of things that he knows and, and feels when he's hiking. For sure. Well, on that note, let's get into it. So we're here with Justin Simone, the Long Ranger. Justin, thank you for joining the Greens Blues 14er podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's definitely my pleasure and privilege to be here. I'll tell you, Justin, like I know of you through your two big exploits, or actually I started following you when you, uh -huh. you Everested, uh, was it Boulder Mountain that you Everested? I Everested uh, Green Mountain, Green Boulder, Mountain, Colorado. That's yep. right. Okay. So um, that's my local hill. Yep. Yeah, and that's that where I first saw thing. you uh, yeah. on fourteeners.com and have just kind of followed your exploits just as a lurker ever since. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. That was a classic Justin Simone outing for sure. It was cool. It was cool. I'd never yeah. heard of Everesting until, until you did that. Yeah. Um, um, like the, the son of, um, uh, who's the, who's the person, the first person who summited Everest. Oh, um, like, um, Sir Edmund Hillary, right? Not Hillary. Sir yeah. Edmund Hillary, his son, like emailed me. He's like, good on you, mate. I was like, what? <laughs> cause it was actually awesome. his son who, it was his son who, um, coined the term, um, Everesting, uh, cause he was getting ready for some mountaineering expedition. So it was a bicycle thing where you just do endless laps up the local hill. So, yeah, that's fascinating. That's mm -hmm. really cool. Is that where you got the idea from? Where did I get the idea from? I think I just saw other people doing it. And I mean, you also, you look at mountaineering videos and films, you're like, wow, Everest would be a really cool goal sometime, some year, someday. Big John Croc fan too. So I've like, you know, read um, Into Thin Air a million times. Yeah. And it's like one of the things I put on my audiobooks. So when I'm trying to go to sleep, I just listen to it. <laughs> Listen to um, listen to accidents of people dying in the high country. But like John Krakauer has such a wonderful voice. So he just yeah. lands to sleep, even though he's talking about, yeah, six people dying on a mountain. Yeah, I I realize that like it's maybe above my financial ceiling of doing it without some major sponsorship or joining or becoming a guide, kind of like mm -hmm. a Neil Biderman. So I didn't know if, it, if it's ever going to happen, but um, I kind of just wanted to bring it to my backyard and uh, do it locally, you know? So, and it was also, that was 2017. So that was kind of a fitness check to see how I was doing in April for a very large project in the summer, which became the tour of the highest hundred where I summited the hundred highest peaks of Colorado and rode my bike to all the trailheads. So kind of want to make sure like, can, can I actually do this? Like, am I getting too old kind of thing? So 
That was a fully self-powered, unassisted effort, right? When you did right. when you did that. So self-powered meaning uh, all I did was either ride a bike, which is mostly to and from the trailhead. So I didn't summit any of the mountains on the bike. And then once I got to the trailhead, I left the bike on the trailhead and then just you know hiked up to the summit. That took uh, 60 days. So that was my goal. And I, I made my goal exactly. So I was really, really excited about that. That was a really wonderful experience. Has, has anyone ever wow. replicated that or even thought about replicating it? Has uh, anyone well, ever well, reached out enough, to you like, um, hey, I want to do this too? No, no one ever, no one has ever like been like, oh, that's really cool. I totally want to do a hundred mountains this summer. Um, there was a gentleman who did it the year before actually, but he did not do it self-supported. He, he has friends and they joined him and like helped him along. So it was more of a celebration of doing this. I think uh, his story was he was getting over some asthma symptoms. He wanted to conquer his asthma and this was the way he wanted to do it. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, Rob Barlow was the man who, who did it. So he did it in, he took longer than me, but you know, it's just did it in a summer. That was really cool. So I had the idea, but he, you know, beat me to it for sure. <laughs> what? He's so a cool guy though. So this is perhaps part of a, a broader conversation of mm -hmm. like what's your, 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 uh, your gnome de plume or your, the name that you go by is the, the long ranger. Right. Uh, the long ranger. So that's sort of my trail name, except I, I broke the cardinal rule of trail names. And that is you don't get to pick your own. You know, oh. it's usually you're like on a through hike and you do something extremely uh, embarrassing, you know, and then that becomes your your trail name forever. It just haunts you. But um, before I got into hiking, I was really into mountain biking and ultra distance cycling. And I had signed up for this bicycle race called the Tour Divide, mm -hmm. which is from Canada to Mexico. Kind of you kind of leapfrog um, across the Continental Divide like 36 times. Is it um, on, it to be, is it on road gravel? What's it on or mix? Mostly on gravel. So it's okay. not very technical, but um, it is 2,700 miles long. So there's <laughs> That's that. the technical part. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. You know, it's like day number one. You're like, what did I sign myself up for? How many um, miles a day is that? I mean, I, the average is around a hundred, you know, oh, there's wow. no days off oh, or anything. My but gosh. I think like my longest day was 200. That, um, and so you did like, it. Uh, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I did it. <laughs> That's so much time in the saddle. Well, I did it twice. And the first time was, it was like my first mountain bike race ever kind of thing. Like, I'm like, Oh, how hard could it be? Um, first time I did it, I got to silver city, New Mexico, which is about a hundred miles from the finish of the race. Yeah, I know. I know. And, silver. I'm from New Mexico. I know silver uh -huh. city quite well. Yeah. Yeah. So the Connell divide kind of goes near there, kind of the divide mm -hmm. trail. And for this little small portion, our route, the, the Tour Divide route, takes the Continental Divide Trail. And that's where I was. And there was a downhill. And I took it a little too hot. And I hit this, like, perfect kicker. And I found myself, like, in the air with all my, you know, my mountain bike and all my <laughs> bike bags. Like, a little bit out of control. And I landed very screwy. And I uh, managed to destroy my front wheel and also my left shoulder. So I had to um, flag someone to get me to the the silver city er and i didn't make it so the first time i i tried it i didn't make it that kind of haunts you you know yeah. um, to go to I get actually, to go 2600 out of the 2700 right. yeah, miles yeah. right first mountain bike race and for for strange reasons um i was actually first place by default because i was the only one who had done the actual route that year, there was there was so much late spring snow oh, wow. that a lot of the mountain passes that year were closed, and none of the uh, other racers wanted to do them. And the race organization decided to have an alternate route. But I was like, again, classic Justin's money. I'm like, I don't need the alternate route. I'll just take snowshoes and we'll just hike it up, up and down. <laughs> so I was the only one that did it. But so by the second second uh, day, I was kind of in first place because I was the only one doing the actual route. But on the map, I was dead last because everyone was going around and going way much faster than me. Yeah. So like that was on the line at 2,600 miles in and I, I biffed it. <laughs> <laughs> Man. So haunting, haunting. So the next year I'm like, well, I, there's no other choice but to like line up for this thing again. Mm -hmm. And there's like an online spreadsheet. You can kind of like sign up and say what you want to do and give your intentions. 
and I was a little embarrassed. No one else was embarrassed for me, but I was embarrassed for my performance the last year. So I wanted to sign up, but I didn't want to use my real name. So I just signed it Long Ranger. Okay. Um, that's a play of Long Range and like the Lone Ranger. There's always this Western theme, you know, it's it's kind of like the Tour de France, but there's like a Western slant. So instead of like the last place person is known as like the red trolley or something, the last last car on a train. So I'm like, yeah, I'm a Long Ranger. That's going to be cool. And like the guy who's like administrating the sheet the spreadsheet kept like deleting my name because he's like hey no no funny business here i'm like no no put it back put it back i'm gonna be there so it was kind of surprising to everyone at the start that i showed up they're like i didn't know you're gonna be there i'm like yeah because i made it a secret i was psyching myself out so that's the the origin of the long ranger so if if you were if someone was to give you a name based on something embarrassing you've done (laughs) what would it be yeah what would it be that's the thing. Like I, I do so many things alone that when I do embarrassing stuff, like no one sees it, which is yeah. great. It would probably be something about like um, my ankle or like you know something like chossaholic or something. Like it's got to be really, it's got to be so embarrassing that you'll never be able to let it down, kind of thing. Yeah, like, it's got to be something that are like from a half a mile, someone yells it, and like whoever you're trying, like you're hiking <laughs> with, and you're trying to be cool with, if it's automatically destroys that and you're just like yeah i'm just a just a slouch lady everyone else so i'm not sure it's to be it's it remains to be seen to to actually be granted to have that privilege is not something i've actually attained yet so you said you you've been doing these kind of long efforts started out as a biker moved into hiking mm-hmm. and i, I want to ask about the transition to hiking in a sec but sure. what's the allure of like when i when i read about the stuff you've done like the sangre traverse mm-hmm a self-powered effort, 60 days is a long time to be doing anything. Like what's, what's the allure of that? Or I, not to get too philosophical here, although you can see my books behind me, that, that is my job. So I'm actually a philosophy professor in my, Uh my real life, but like, what's the allure of that? Like, why do you, why do you do that? Oh, like alone in the wilderness time. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or just these long efforts that are, most people are, are, are going for like quick and dirty these days, right? Like the, the quickest I can do all the 14ers in a car with like people stuffing pizza down my throat. (laughs) And you're like, no, I want to go the slowest possible way and just grind at a problem for two months on end. That's not enough pain and suffering. How can I have more pain (laughs) and suffering? Yeah. um, Well, like when philosophy goes, I'm, I'm, I'm a very much an existentialist. So yeah, you, you make the trip, what, what you want it to be kind of thing. You, you find the joy in the, in the pain. I think it just, it, it comes from my childhood and I grew up in a family where we had a sailboat. So I was kind of used to kind of longer trips going slower and being a little bit more self-sufficient. You know, if we don't, if we don't sail this boat, right, we're never going to get to our destination. Hmm. And like, God bless my parents. Like we would go to, you know, I I grew up in Connecticut and we'd go to someplace like Block Island. So it would take us like all day to get there. And then we'd anchor the boat and then, what my mother liked to do, and it's very much like summoning 14ers, to be perfectly honest, is like she liked to collect lighthouses, which yeah. means we just visit the lighthouse, take a picture, you know, a selfie basically, and like go back. But like we'd like we'd like walk 10 miles to, to do these lighthouses because my father was a marathon runner, an ultra marathon runner, actually. So like, this was all part of the course of my growing up, like find the more a difficult way of doing something. Maybe it's more satisfying that way. So that's sort of the speed that I grew up in and kind of the ethos that was imbued in me, you know, like the, a lot of things could happen on a sailboat, you know, it's, it's not the safest mode of travel, but it can also be really fun. You know, like you're, you're doing, you're doing a thing, you can do it your own way. You can go fast you can go slow. That's sort of where that came from. Car culture never really grabbed onto me and it was like, yeah, you need, you need a really fast sports car when you're young. I was I was more into skateboarding. So I'm like, I can, I'm just going to pedal around my skateboard, you know, and like go off these stairs and hit this curb or something and just make it a creative act of just traveling. So, yeah. And you don't even own a car now, do you? Nope. I, I had a car for a couple of years. Um, last car I had, I bought for 
$800. And it was fine. It was from this guy I knew in Indiana. And he's like, I'm just going to go car free forever. I'm like, that's a wild idea. I don't understand, but okay. And it's sure enough, it was my last car. Drove it from Indiana. And then like, it, it lasted like a year before it just cost too much in maintenance to be worth it. I just like donated it to NPR and got a bicycle from the thrift store for $14, you know, fixed it up. And I was like, well, I don't know, like the store, the grocery store is a mile and a half away. I lived in 20th and market in downtown Denver, which is a block away from like the baseball stadium. So like everything came to me, right. I lived in an art gallery. So like if I wanted to go out, I just got went out my gallery door and there I was, there was usually a, an art opening or some sort of party going on. Yeah. It's just worked out really well. I mean, uh, Denver's bike infrastructure is actually pretty in- incredible, to be honest. So I-, I had everything I needed. And then I realized, like, I-, I didn't go in knowing this, but, like, I really loved riding bikes. And the longer I rode the bike, the more fun it was. So within a year of, like, getting that thrift store bike, I was, I was heading, I was in Vancouver, heading south towards Tijuana going, let's ride, let's ride across the country. <laughs> For my first time, for my first time. So it got hold of me. And even in that like first bike tour, you know, I was just on a road bike or whatever. I had like a guidebook that, you know, it's, it's every chapter is a day or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I get to the end of the chapter and I'd be like, well, I want to keep going, you know? So it's like oh, 30 more miles. Let's do 30 more miles. And I get to the end of that chapter. I'd be like, well, let's just keep going. Like <laughs> I liked what, what I liked about it was the riding of the bike rather than the camping or the socializing and stuff. So yeah. I had to stop myself once. I was going through like this incredible giant redwood grove, you know, it's just going like 40 miles an hour down a hill. And I was just like, Justin, stop. <laughs> like You're camping here. <laughs> like, this is too incredible. You're not going to see this for who knows how long. Like, you got to check this out. So, yeah. For whatever reason, my body was just so adept to like all day efforts from kind of the get go. Yeah, it's, I didn't know that. I kind of grew up thinking I was just a very runty person, kind of a runt of the family. My sister was the athlete. Um, she got a full scholarship to her college, you know, maintained a 4.0 GPA. She was also the smartest one in the family. And I just felt kind of runty, kind of like didn't really know my place in life. So it was, it was a big revelation to me that I had something there too. So yeah. Kind of like you, what my father had. And you have a talent. Yeah, a talent for like low levels of. It, high it, high amounts of low levels of pain i guess yeah yeah that that's a thing like a lot of people don't have the internal kind of psychological constitution to just grind yeah i've been like kind of wandering around in my my psyche and like where is that coming from does it come from a good place in my in my head or a bad place you know is this a positive thing or a negative thing but i also think it's just like those those sailing trips that we took where we're on like this dinky little sailboat and like a storm is coming and like, you have to kind of keep it together to like not freak out and be like, let's, let's sail to the nearest port and get safe. And like, we all need to work together to do this, you know? And that kind of is kind of, I try to have that in my mindset rather than like, you know, don't fear the reaper. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking like a calm kind of a fortitude that you've got when you're, I assume when you're preparing for a journey, but also while you're in the midst of it too. Oh, sure. I mean, that 60 day trip, like I am nothing but happy to be out there. You know, I think in just normal life, like I have a a kind of a heightened state of anxiety and it's just that my emotions or the way I'm wired is like once I'm doing something, a long distance hike, where there is some unknown or there is some risk or danger, like it actually lowers down where I just feel a little bit more natural and normal. Yeah. That's, that's definitely something I'm exploring. Like, why is that? It sounds like Zen. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Like meditative practice of a sort. Right. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of cool neuropsychology that shows that when you get into the, these flow states, it slows down all kinds of cognitive processes that probably in your normal everyday state or on overdrive a little bit and right, right. Uh, you're able to kind of tap into to some yeah some kind of sense of, of true engagement for a little bit sure and I think like when I was much younger and I discovered bicycles that as an adult 
like just being able to, you know, ride your bike really fast with no one around, you know, you have that feeling like you're flying. And I definitely think there's like this great amount of pleasure just doing that. So yeah, trying to capture that again in a variety of ways is definitely something I enjoy doing. You know, it's always special when it happens, you know. Welcome to the Greens and Blues Neurological Podcast. (laughs) 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 To kind of pivot back to your big kind of first self-supported effort, what's the transition from riding bikes for long distances to now riding a bike for long for long distance because <laughs> yeah. i have a feeling that was a at least a thousand miles or so of of riding in that mm-hmm. effort but also now you're you're hiking and mm-hmm. you're doing full-on scrambles for sections mm-hmm. of that as well or even yeah. some class for hiking for portions of it sure i mean i i traded in the, the bowie knife for a swiss army knife kind of i again like it there's so much in my childhood that I can relate to what I do now. And it's funny because I live, I grew up in Connecticut, which isn't known for its like awe-inspiring mountain peaks and grand vistas. <laughs> to be honest, like I was introduced to rock climbing when I was 12. You know, the social services department in my little town was just a bunch of rock climbers and they would take us to do like club outings in middle school and high school. So I found I really loved to do that and had that kind of in my back pocket. And like I said, my father was an ultra runner. One of my first memories was going to one of his races. And like, again, this is the 80s. And at the time, like it wasn't Leadville 100. It wasn't the Western States. It was some random high school track in Washington, D.C. that you would do laps constantly around for 24 hours. Oh, dear. And someone would be at the finish line taking note in how many times you cross the finishing line. And every six hours, you'd you'd, um, switch the way you went. We would go to Washington, D.C. to see my dad do these races. And I would just, you know, we'd check out the museums and stuff, check back on him and things. So like that, that idea of like that's something that you do came in pretty early in, in my memories. But when I transitioned myself from cycling a lot to running, it was because I hurt my hand and I couldn't um, hold on to my handlebar. And I was getting ready for something called the Colorado Trail Race and there's a lot of mountain bike, like it's a mountain bike race and you follow generally the Colorado trail. It's about 750 miles long and I really need to keep my fitness up and gain some fitness. So I'm like, Oh man, what do I do? I'm like, I guess I'm running. I'm like, I guess I'm running up and down mountains. So I was living at Denver at the time and I would just take the bus to Boulder and do some laps up green mountain and uh, come back and, you know, feel happy about myself. And yeah, I realized I loved to run as well. (laughs) unfortunately to me you know the man who has too many hobbies yeah um yeah and then you know like i did the color trail that was a really amazing amazing um experience that was in 2013 and yeah i think in like that's that winter or that year i was just like wow you know there's these things called 14ers (laughs) (laughs) i don't have a car i want to do them like that sounds like fun like how how do you can you just use a bike like has anyone done that like what's that look like where do you start? You know, I did the research I could. There wasn't a lot of um, notable trips like that. Hmm. And like the, the fastest one was like 37 days, kind of self-supported. Like his wife would visit him at trailheads and make him dinner. But like basically what we would think is self-supported now that we have more established definitions. Now that I've had some racing experience, like long distance racing experiences, I was like, why don't I just take like this bike packing ethos and the rules and just apply them to this new challenge? You know, I was like, I don't see why I couldn't. <laughs> I moved to Boulder next, the next year and lived like a monk, you know, just training for this thing that started in July. That's sort of how it happened. I mean, when I started, when I started running just on flat road, like I, I was that guy, like it wasn't that long ago where I'd have to run for like a mile and then walk for like half a mile and yeah, run a mile. A, a fart lick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. 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 Just couldn't, I couldn't keep up. I, could, I didn't know how to pace myself. I just wasn't strong in the way that runners are strong. So yeah, I had to start from square one again, which is kind of fun. You know, that again, that beginner's mind. Yeah. It's very humbling when you think you're really good at, you know, a really mm. great athlete and you just try something completely new and you're like, this is not, I'm not good at this. Yeah. Biking is not <laughs> transferable to running in the same way that, that you hope it is. No, no. I did find out I was really good at, at the gate to like 
trudge uphills because that's mm-hmm. very much like pedaling. Yeah, but the downhill is a, a whole another story, and I my legs would kill afterwards. Mm-hmm. I would get the the gnarliest cramps, you know. Oh my gosh! So yeah, there was some holes in my fitness for running. So now we'll fast forward to 2017. Justin's sure. doing this super long effort. Hundred the centennials. Did you do the because there's centennials a misnomer, right? Because there's 104 of them, but. Um, yeah, my list had my list had 105. I wanted okay. to make sure I got everything. <laughs> <laughs> so you do 105 peaks. I remember kind of watching you as you were doing this because you had you had a a forum on 14ers.com at least at the time mm-hmm. for for this effort. I not to be too trite, but like what were the highs and the lows, Justin? Like what was the best part of that and what was the worst part of it? I guess this is what was attractive to me and kind of getting to your other question was like every day is completely different and there's a lot of surprises and every day has those high highs and those low lows. I do remember like when I started out that particular trip, I just really was not into the idea. I did it because I said I was going to do it. And like, I had a little, I had a few people that were counting on me, but not no real big pressure like that. But it's like anything like it, you know, like when you want to do a run or you want to do some exercise and you really don't want to do it. But you're like, well, I'll just start. And if I like don't like it after five minutes, I'll just go home. Like I had to do that for a 60 day trip. <laughs> oh Did you gosh. ever get into it? Was there ever a day where you're like, I faked it and now I finally made it? Or was yeah. it just Yeah, to- oh totally. Yeah. I think like after the first peak, which was Pike's Peak, I was like, all right, this is cool. You know, I always like I'm like anybody, like I have major questions and self-confidence issues of like, do I have the fitness to do this? Like I've signed up for like a big, a big idea. Like this is a big unknown. Like, can you do this? Like the elevation gain and loss on this stuff is like insane. I'm like, was this a good, am I going to destroy myself? (laughs) Like, I don't know. I have a lot of questions here. Yeah. Like once you get into like, you know, the rhythm of it and you're like, wow, you know, all I have to do for the next two months is ride bikes and climb mountains. (laughs) 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 Oh, this is okay. I like, this is a huge privilege to be able to do this and I should be nothing but happy and i can't believe like former justin was like yep future justin this is what you're going to do it's like it's awesome well i'm glad to hear you say that it's a privilege because as you're describing it i'm thinking man you had that low of a low every single day like i think and that probably just speaks again to the fortitude that you've got to be able to plow through that every day and look forward to okay well there's got to be a high high somewhere (laughs) here but to have that fortitude is that's pretty remarkable, man. Yeah, like just to take a random example, like I'm in the maroon bells, you know, and you wake up and like it's painful. Yeah, <laughs> Your back, mm-hmm. my back hurts. My legs are just like screaming because they're sore. It's like, so what day is this? This it, like uh, this will be end? like it's like day number fifty or something. Yeah, we're, okay. we're, we're yeah, into you're, it. You're you know? yeah. the you, last. You went from pikes to the sangres to the yeah, sand, and then kind of did a general like clockwise direction. So I yeah, probably. Yeah. Like went to the Sawatch first and then dipped into the Elks and then did the rest of the, the front range or something. Whatever my inner algorithm said was the most efficient way. But yeah, this was pretty far into it. So that morning, like I got, I finally got up from my Bibby site, you know, and like you, you're trudging up Maroon Peak and it is like 2000 feet or 3000 feet of just this hill. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, is this really what we're doing? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm sure we can all identify it. It's just like, God, this is a long way up just to get to like, like to the good stuff, you know. But then you like summon, you're like, oh, that was really cool. That last bar was cool and scrambly. And then you know, I have the traverse in front of, in front of me. And by then, I'm like engaged and energized, and I'm like, I love this traverse. You know, it's so much fun. I'm gonna find a better way to do it this way. You know, and I forget about the all the soreness it all goes away and i'm like looking forward to the the downhill i'm like i bet i can run it you know knowing i also have like pyramid peak that day to do or something you know something crazy did you connect or like them? i have to get up and or... over independence pass or something something mm. just wild yeah did you connect them that day did you did you do more uh the bells and pyramid same day not that trip i don't think so because i also had to do thunder pyramid so i oh, think yeah. i did pyramid peak and thunder pyramid and then another day I did the Maroon Bells. And then after I did the Maroon Bells, I think that night I tried to go over Independence Pass. 
But let me tell you, just um, as a as a word of warning, like riding a bike over Independence Pass in the middle of the night, not a great idea. No, that <laughs> section right on the uh, on the east side where it's like, like there there is no railing or anything there no. that would not be enjoyable on a bike even yeah. during the daytime. I was like, I'm just gonna like I had to bail like halfway through. I was like, um, I'm just gonna camp. <laughs> Like, it's fine. Yeah. I, 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 like, the cars are not looking out for me. And to be honest, it's a weird place for a bike to be in the middle of the night. So I kind of understand. I'm like, I agree with his cars on this one. So I just wait for the morning. (laughs) Like, again, the mountains, the mountains will wait. You know, like, I'm setting the record. So let's, let's set a good example of what to do. Well, and not Silver City, like, die near the end of right, the... Right, right, right. Like, yeah. that would be, like, a low... <laughs> it's like an Oregon Trail highest... tombstone. Here lies Justin. Right, right. He only ma- he made it 50, 52 days. Yeah. It's, like, made out of bike parts. Like, well, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does seem like, the way you talk about it and your mention of existentialism, it does seem like just this kind of absurd quest. Oh, sure. You yeah. made up this thing that didn't i mean i it is a thing like right doing all the centennials is kind of a thing or it is a thing sure. in the last 20 years but like it's a it's lifetime arbit- goal <laughs> it's a life it's a, mm, it, yeah, oh yeah not not like a one summer goal and certainly <laughs> right, not self-powered right. and certainly not on a bike that you like right. carry for parts of it but yeah it just seems like you you bought in at a certain point this it's absurd it's kind of, i'm going up a 2000 foot hill today and then i'm going to find the find the thing at the top and I'm just going to lean into this until it means something to me. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Early, early like when I was in college, Justin got into uh, the existentials pretty hard. But yeah, like I think a lot of people now have like discovered Victor, Victor Frankel and Man's Search for Meaning and yeah. stuff. And that that book really hit me pretty hard. I thought it was a really wonderful book, to be honest. But I was also like, you know, like totally into like Jean Genet, which is another French existentialist. And he was like, during world war ii he would just like go from town to town in the french countryside and like get into all these like really big messes and like kind of get through it and but like it always like it's so easy for me to be like at home and just kind of like drinking coffee and having breakfast and then that that idea pops in your head like hey you know what what if (laughs) and then something goes on it's like (laughs) what if i just ride my bike to all the 14ers like is there someone going to stop me like what if I could like? What if I just do an Everesting of the local hill? Like, has that ever been done? Like, I don't know. Like, why don't I do it? You know, like, no one. I, I don't have to ask permission from anyone to do this. No, you know, right. unless I'm like yeah. going out with someone. And I'm like, hey, honey, what if I'm not here this summer? <laughs> <laughs> is that okay? You are utterly free, which is, I guess, part of the allure of what you do. Like that, as you said. All I'm going to do for the next two months is ride my bike and climb mountains. Mm-hmm. And there's a very particular kind of freedom that, that accompanies that. Right. It's yeah, the... sure. But like, it's not like, it's not super rare. Like this is kind of ethos of the through hikers, you know, like you just, you wake up from camp. Yes. You hike until you don't want to, and then you make camp again, yep. you know, but there's some, uh, there's a beauty of the simplicity for sure. Mm-hmm. Although what I do is a little bit more extreme than like a through hike, like through hikers are there for longer doing the CDT takes a, a very long time. You know, that's a big investment in time. Is there anything extraordinary that happened on that centennial effort a morning where you woke up and there was a moose standing next to you <laughs> or, you know, you, you stood on the top of, of uh antero peak and saw god or something like is is there just a moment that sticks out of that particular journey well yeah i mean there was a lot of moments like that and that's maybe another reason it's not the main reason but it's like this really wonderful side effect of doing these where i can be traveling all around colorado and look up at a mountain and be like oh yeah you know that one time (laughs) i was on this crazy trip I've been there, you know, that's cool. So to, since you mentioned Ontario, um, yeah, I was on the top of Ontario during the, the solar eclipse. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was really cool. And it was kind of like uh, really busy that day because everyone wanted to be on top of Ontario for the solar eclipse. So yeah. like, lots of Jeep uh, crews were there, but um, yeah, I mean, it's just so otherworldly where it's all sounds like dusk in the middle of the day. Like, oh yeah, that's today. Um, I did have some bear encounters that trip. 
again, speaking of the um, Maroon Bells, I remember like being woken up by the camp host. I think it was that year. Pots and pans being smacked by the camp host. I woke up, I'm like, what are you doing? And the camp host is like, don't you see the bear? And I didn't because I didn't have contacts on, I didn't have my contacts on. I'm like, where is the bear? And she's like, in between us. I'm like, I now see the bear. <laughs> and then I, there was another, a couple of days later where I left my bike at a trail junction and did a, you know, some huge day, you know, full day. I came back and the bear had completely found my ba- my bike and I'd gone through all my bags and just destroyed them. I was like, oh, oh like there's no food, man. but it just smelled the wrappers and was going yeah. for it. Some bear encounters, but um, yeah. Like when you're a couple days from finishing, you know, it's, it's hard not to well up, have your mm-hmm. eyes well up and be like, oh my God, this thing's almost over. I don't want it to go. I don't want it to end, but it has to kind of thing. Like finding an, a new best friend and knowing you have to like go your separate ways kind of thing. So yeah, it was always like kind of bittersweet at the end because on the other hand, you are like destroyed, you know, physically and mentally and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's oh, gotta be a part really... of it, right? Like there's a point where your, your body's like, okay, dude. I mean, how much yeah. weight, uh, I think I remember seeing you posted how much weight you lost on this or did yeah, like I'm not, I'm a big guy. So when I do lose weight, it's usually a big number two, but it's, it's like the first couple of weeks I'll like drop 10, 15 pounds. And then it's like the slow, you know, every week it's just a little bit more. So like, yeah, it does seem like at this effort, there is like a time. Eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Not not to be too cracker about this, but you're going to be Chris McCandless by the end of this thing, like just right, consuming right. more calories than, right. than you can put into your body, right? That's the problem, right? There's just no way to eat enough at this effort. There's just absolutely no way mm-hmm. because not only am I doing these long distance rides and these hikes, I'm not sleeping all that much and it's cold at night. So like I remember coming home from that, that 60 day trip and um, my girlfriend at the time was there to greet me. She spent the night and she's like, I had to get out of the bed. Like you were too hot. Like you were (laughs) pumping out the BTUs. (laughs) Like it was uncomfortable just to be around you. I'm like, oh, you know, because I finished like in the middle of September. So things were getting kind of cold above tree line. But it's amazing how the body adapts. What what was amazing about that is something that can't be put into words. You just kind of have to be there. It's fun to like realize that you have to kind of imagine that you're not in the same space as you usually are. And you're on this like quest, you know, and you can get into that mindset that like, you're not part of the real world right now. You're kind of like doing this fantasy thing and then kind of go with it, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of like any sort of pilgrimage into the desert, Mm -hmm. or, you know, I'm tip, I'm tipping some windmills. That's for sure. Like, let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) It is very, very quixotic like that. Right. 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 Um, Absolutely. Coming back, crash landing back in the real world is pretty rough, I'll have to say. You know, mm. I think I spent like a week on the couch just sleeping in my sleeping bag. <laughs> yeah, there's um I remember when I was a senior in high school, I went to Alaska for two and a half weeks and backpacked above the Arctic Circle. And I remember the first time I heard noise again. <laughs> yeah. Like in an airport. It was it was overwhelming. Yeah. And I remember just sitting in a room in a dark room eating Chips Ahoy for like a day and a half. Right. right. Like, I I I remember the first time I got back into a car, I'm like, oh, what are these things? (laughs) 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 It's like a caveman lawyer on Saturday night. What what are these things? (laughs) Maybe we should pivot to the Sangre effort. Sure. I was hoping you'd kind of summarize it and kind of go through as kind of did with, with the centennials as well, kind of the highlights and if you want to share lowlights as well, but kind of just work through how you prepared for it and, and yeah, kind of work through the most impressive parts of it for you. So the Sangre de Crisco range traverse is a route across the Sangres lengthwise, not widthwise that starts between Salida, Colorado, with the, the northern terminus of the Sangre de Cristo range, and basically Little Bear, Little Bear Peak at the southern end. The Sangre de Cristo is as like a mass of mountains, keeps going in New Mexico, but we're not talking about that. We're just talking about that, like that very pencil thin mountain range that you find in Colorado. The traverse itself is um, you just follow the ridgeline, there's a main ridgeline, 
it doesn't stop being a ridgeline through the entire thing. So once you're on it, you can just follow it, just naturally follow it as if it was a trail itself, which is really freaking cool. Like, you know, like you can get on the, you can get on the ridgeline, say you started in Salida, you can look south and you can see your destination. You can see the next few days. Mm. So it's, it's very captivating. It does include Crusto Peak, Crusto Needle, Ellingwood Points, Blanca Peak, and Little Bear. So you bag five 14ers while you're out there. I don't know if there's anything like it, exactly like it in the state. It's just, it's so incredible. Like what makes it also kind of amazing is that there are no foothills on, mm-hmm. in the Sangres. So like when you're on the main ridgeline, the, the mountains just fall back on each side. Like you can see the valleys below mm-hmm. and like you always have like 5,000 feet of air below you. You know, it's just, you know, that feeling you have on like a summit of mountain, you're like, wow, the view is so amazing. This is incredible. That's every day on the Sangre de Cristo. It's continuous. <laughs> it's just continuous. Yeah. So I, I, it wasn't my idea. I got this idea from a man named Brendan Leonard who tried to do himself with a, a, a hiking buddy in 2013 mm-hmm. and he got as far as like california peak they, they, they weren't they weren't in a rush this was taking a couple of weeks they did um, food drops and water drops and stuff and they were going to take pictures and get some beta out for an article for backpacker magazine which is where i read about it and when they got to california peak they got this incredible rainstorm and had bail from the route so they were like a day from finishing very yeah, similar I mean, that's the like southern the that's like basically it right You're almost there. in New Mexico. Yeah. yeah. So that storm that they hit turned into the flood, the same storm that caused the flooding in Boulder and Denver. Oh, so yeah. It was a big, it was a huge, huge system that like oh, finally man. got them off the mountain. But I read this and I was like, this is incredible. Like, what an amazing idea. Like, I don't know how many 14ers I had done at that point, like five, but I, I got it in the back of my mind. I'm like, all right, let's try this one day. Like, this is too insane. One, anyone um, that's driven the San Luis Valley yeah, has looked up, uh, at least me, uh, I've, I went to, I'm from New Mexico, but went to school mm-hmm. in Colorado, college in Colorado Springs. And I drove that San Luis Valley seven, eight times a year. And every time I'd look at that ridgeline and it just inspires that, like, you could, that, that'd go, yeah. right? You like, you should that, be able to do you? that. Yeah. <laughs> can you walk it i don't know like can, has uh, anyone it, it looks like it goes right there's not, like goes. nothing cliffy on it right well, we can do this right right yeah it's fine <laughs> bridge cross that bridge when it gets there <laughs> yeah. yeah and upon doing more um research on it i found out the first time someone tried to do it was in 1961 and they got all the way from salida basically they got to was it marble pass oh well that's a ways it was amazing. And they, yeah. I guess they were like, we have, we've had enough. Yeah. <laughs> but like at the time there was no map of the range, you know, it was just like, it was like the map of around Salida and like the Crestone Sorta and then like Blanca Peak. Everything in the middle was just like Darby dragons. So they're like just going out for it. It's, it's kind of amazing. So it's possible that like that trip, they did some first ascents, some minor first ascents. Like I know they named some of the mountains, like they named one of the mountains Thirsty Peak because they were oh, yeah. completely and early out of water. Yeah. So that was really cool to, to oh, know. I, that's been... where that comes. I've hiked yeah. Thirsty Peak. I didn't know that's where that came from. Yeah. Yeah. They okay. were like totally out of water. So they were like, well, I guess this is Thirsty Peak. That makes sense. Like it was so funny. Hmm. Like it's such a different world because they were resupplying at mining camps. You know, they mm-hmm. like, drop down and like find some random miners, I guess. And be like, can we get some bread from you? That was so cool. So yeah, it's, it's fun to know that it's been on people's minds for, you know, 70 years or so. Um, so I, I decided to do my trip in 2019 initially, and I started in Lake Como road and mm-hmm. I was going to go North and yeah, I didn't know what to expect. Like I, I definitely have done the, the crust stones and little bear and Blanca and stuff. Yeah. Other than that, I didn't know really what to expect. <laughs> it just kind of went for it, but it was like, again, like such an incredible experience. So first day, first, the one, the first day. You have to get to the base of the Southwest Ridge, which is like six miles of bushwhacking. And then you do the Southwest Ridge, which is like three mile ridgeline to get to the top of Little Bear. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you have to do the, the Little Bear Blanket Traverse. 
That's a that's a hell of an that's introduction. A, yeah, that's hey, a deal. That's there. your introduction. <laughs> it's probably the hardest part of the whole route, though, right? Yeah, it's one of the hardest parts. Yeah, yeah. And then you get to Ellingwood, which is you know it's fine, but then you have to get off of Ellingwood and keep going north. And there's like this major ridge line there too. Like it's like another little bear blanket traverse. Yeah. Oh man. And then like after that, there might be sort of some realistic camping options. So like I remember having to move it, like trying to get to a place where I'm not like just huddled on like you know like a a, a part of a ledge that's kind of out of the the, the wind for the night. Oh my god! It was insane. Yeah, and of course, like I had six or six days of food with me, so like I had like a forty plus pound mm-hmm. pack. Like yep. this is not the terrain you want to have like forty pounds on. It was like that. I was like, whoa, this is the first day. Like, what's the <laughs> second day going to be like? And again, it's just insane. Like, it's on paper, it looks easy. You go over this um, little mountain called Mount Zewicken, which mm-hmm. is barely twelve thousand feet. That's right near the um, the sand dunes, right? Dunes. Yep. 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 But like, there's no trail on Mount Zewicken, nope. and it's just the most incredible like down, like blowdown, and bushwhacking, and it like everything's like pointy and sharp and wants to like murder you and there's cactuses and it, it's just, and then you climb was, up from that onto mount harard right is that is that am i right in thinking that yeah i think so something like that like you get a little bit of reprieve where like there's yeah. water again <laughs> and then you kind of go off towards like uh, milwaukee peak yeah and like there's a little bit of reprieve and then you're like in the thick of it again we're like oh after milwaukee peak is like a broken hand peak which mm-hmm. is no slouch no. Like I had no bait on that. I didn't know what to expect. And then the crest stones again, you know, like you're like, well, I have to do the crest stone traverse in <laughs> within this huge, huge trip. So yeah, I remember like I spent the night on top of crest stone needle just because that's when darkness fell on me. Oh, that's nuts. Like, All right. Wow. Cool. <laughs> you, because I know it's part of the story. What were you sleeping in for this traverse? What was your sleeping arrangement? Were oh, you I mean, sleeping like, in a bivy? Yeah, I had a 35 degree bag. I had a baby sack that wasn't waterproof. Like I probably had like some like mylar sheeting to put down up below, but yeah, pretty minimal. Like I was trying to go as light as possible because there's just so much terrain to 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 hike. The route's 120 miles and 66,000 feet of elevation gain and loss. Like it's just, it's mind blowing. Like wow. you're like what? Like that's two Everests, you know, I have to do with all my gear like are you kidding like there's no trail <laughs> it's no. like at, the, at best it's talus i got up that day from cresto needle and you're like oh i just have to traverse from to the peak and then you know there's a little bit of reprieve again to get to like obstruction peak mm-hmm. and then like, there's this ridge line between obstruction and mount adams that's like that's even gnarlier than the cresto traverse yes like what is this that's I, I was going to ask about that because that to me, actually, when I looked at it, that seems like the real crux of it. Right. Or that... Oh, it's it's incredible. Like, I mean, knife edge ridges, like one one side's overhanging. Like, it's it's absolutely awesome. Like, if you love scrambling, like it's it's the Shangri-La, like the Crestone Traverse. Don't get me wrong. Great. But it doesn't hold a candle to this. And it's just because those mountains aren't as high that no one kind of does them. Yeah. But you see them like if you're like, like, what is it? Willow Lake. If you're camping on Willow Lake, you can't help but notice them. You're like, well, what's this? I oh, I remember hiking up Mount Adams and looking at that and being like, that's not good. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> I don't, so I don't you know, do. I don't want to go yeah. over there. Oh, uh, best, best stay away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd summited Adams by like 10 in the morning. I was like, I got a free, I got a whole day here. Maybe I'll go. Oh, no, I'm not going that <laughs> no, way. No, I'm going to no. go towards fluted or that. <laughs> Bad idea. Or yeah. Here. So, yeah. so you do, you do Adams, you do fluted. And then like, that's, that, that's the end of the, the really cruxy stock. Right. And from there on to Salida, it's all class two talus hopping. It's like 60 miles of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm. Like you're, you're pretty home free. This landscape and this terrain that not a lot of people visit. So it's kind of this interesting um, excuse to go visit some less trodden areas. So, uh, and like, I, I mean, didn't nor- see anybody. North of like Cottonwood and all that. It's kind of, it's wilderness at right? that point. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't see a, a soul. It's <laughs> you know? just no one there. Like again, and I didn't see a soul until Salida where I like, you know, I, I come out of the wilderness at the loafing jug and just like get a slurpee, <laughs> which is not a great idea. Like talk about a, a brain freeze. I was like, Oh my God. 
<laughs> I've been ex- in like the most exposed area I could possibly find for six days. And the first thing I decided to do is like a frozen drink. I was on the floor. Like everyone's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> now, how much you say it took you six days? I think it took me six and a half days in oh, wow. uh, 2019. So, yeah. Now, was there an earlier effort where you got rained off or was that later? That was my first effort. Um, there was one, there was uh, two people who did the year before together and they had like, um, that was the first time I think it's ever been done, honestly. So that was 2018. That was, um, uh, I forget who it was. Um, two very, very good ultra runners, honestly. Um, like one of the guys I think got third in Western States one year. You know, like, I think that's like, I don't think I'm that good of a runner. Like That's that's good, good runners. So I like, I love the idea of doing it. And I was like, I want to do it again. <laughs> but I want to start and slide and go south because I don't think it's ever been done. Mm. I'm like, why? Why not? <laughs> again, like, what if I start in Salida? The problem with that is all the, the difficult terrain you keep to the end where it's you're all end, tired, yeah. Yeah. you know, and like, who knows what the weather's going to be like and like, do you really want to face all that kind of stuff? So yeah, I tried three times in total to go from north to south. And the first time, yeah, I got blown off of Thirsty Peak, this really wonderful busy site. But um, the yeah, storm came in and uh, ripped my my very lightweight tarp to sunder and uh, left me bare. And I it was the middle of the night, so I had to wait until the sun came up to figure out where to bail to. You yeah. know, it was kind of a it was not a good situation to be in. It's kind of pretty much an emergency situation but i also had like a baby sack with me and it was water resistant and i just kind of like you know got into like a fetal position and just waited (laughs) (laughs) i'm like you know like a tree's not gonna blow on me so i'm like because there are no trees so i'm like oh as long as i'm dry you know i'm warm enough like let's just kind of bear and endure this so are you camping above timberline the entire traverse right right on the ridge where are you getting water I mean, I, that's just a stupid practical question, but like, that's the first thing I, I think <laughs> right, I was like, right. where's, where's your water coming from? On that route specifically, like you have to kind of time it where there's enough snow to collect for water, but not so much snow that it impedes your travel. So yeah, the first time I did, I brought a stove and would melt the, the snow and make water. Um, the other times I just would let the snow melt naturally. Mm-hmm. I would actually put in like a, um, a water flask and put the water flask between my backpack and me in my back and just let it like melt. And that was really actually very refreshing as well. So, <laughs> um, kind of an extreme, uh, technique, but it, it worked well on this route where it's, it's actually a very warm area, you know, it's mm-hmm. a hot, hot range for sure. And I'm genetically engineered to live in like frozen bogs near the Arctic circle. You know, that's where my people come from. So. <laughs> It was kind of fish out of water for me. We'll continue our conversation with Justin Simone on the next episode. In the meantime, feel free to reach out to us at our email address, greensandbluespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.